0: Well, good morning, IBC family. Uh, I do want to say a couple things before I jump into our sermon here this morning. First of all, I'm very grateful for Pastor Corey and his leadership uh, with our youth. Uh, I know many of us, maybe just perhaps just the stage in life we're in, we don't, we're don't. we not very aware sometimes of the many things that are happening throughout the week and even behind the scenes sometimes. And so there's a lot taking place going on almost every single day, it seems like, around here. And uh, I know we have our part and, we, and we're aware of what we're aware of, basically, but there's a lot of other things going on. And so this is one of the reasons why we want to do this. We want to kind of bring people into more of a visible role so you see what God is doing pretty much at every age range in our church. And so thank you, Farah, for... Uh, for your leadership on that too. You would, you would think that like the, the children or IBC kids is actually very small, but it's not. Um, but I know fear and intrepidation takes place when it calls for to, to stand in front of your church family. So uh, perhaps that'll will we'll grow that down the road a little bit, but I love it. It was so fun. Um, for you kids in the room, we also understand that there, a lot of you kids are actually going to be in the sermon here, uh, hear the sermon here this morning, and so you're like, oh no, and my kids are like, get here, hear Pastor Daddy, and it's going to be great. But look, we have this little sheet right now, and if you don't have yet have a sheet in your hands, you can raise your hand, and Dan Sophie's going to walk around, and he has some sheets available for you, so if you don't have a sheet, this sheet is designed for you to at least identify one thing or draw a picture about one thing that relates to the service or whatever one thing. Um, So I know you have the the little sermon notes that you oftentimes doodle on but this is an opportunity to take this sheet. So keep your hands up. Dan is going to walk around. Some other usher is going to walk around and if you keep your hands up just keep them up until there's a a sheet in your hands and then you can do that. The rest of you in your bulletin there is a sermon notes for you to fill out as well so that being said i know i gotta wait for there's a lot of hands up maybe we need multiple people walking around for this (laughs) got dan on the on the run here this morning well i'm gonna get started here plus i have like a whole hour and this is great so it's gonna be a really nice long sermon no and that's not really we'll see I never really know. I don't have Saturday night now, so I don't really know how to gauge how long my sermons are going to go. So um, you know, a, a, few, a couple of years ago, I actually preached a sermon basically with the intent of how we can prepare ourselves to prepare our hearts for worship. In other words, we talked about what what does it look like to come into Sunday morning and to become prepared for worship, come prepared to, in a sense, do church with our church family, and the point that was emphasized in that sermon a couple years ago was this, your experience of worship on Sunday morning is significantly influenced by your preparation on Sunday morning. Let me just say that again. Your, your experience on a Sunday morning is significantly influenced by your preparation on Sunday morning. In other words, depending on how you prepare your heart, depending on what the the things that you participate in, the 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 normal activity in that morning, all kind of influences what you are going to come in and receive on a typical Sunday morning. So we talked about things like this. It's important that you and I don't come as a spectator, but instead come as a worker. Coming to church as a spectator is like a sporting event. How are you going to make my life better? How are you going to make my life happy? What are you going to do for me? And by the way, that mindset has no unifying unifying capability whatsoever. So we cannot come to church and expect to have a wonderful experience, especially when we come to church asking the question, what are you going to do for me? Am I going to like church today or not? Instead, you need to come with the mindset, am I coming as a worker Am I coming, asking this question, God, how do you want to use me today? What are you gonna do in and through my life this morning? And so we talked about some very practical things. We talked about preparing to receive from God. We talked about preparing to respond to what we have received. We talked about preparing to edify the family of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way, just because we emphasize it over and again, you are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We have a bond with one another by the very fact that we are all saved, at least those of us who are saved, by the blood of Jesus Christ. That makes us brothers and sisters. And that means that you and I are going to spend eternity together. So we probably should start getting along now. What do you think? I know we do. It's all good. I believe that the same principle also or equally applies when we prepare to open our Bibles I'm convinced of this, that when we open our Bible, or if we open our Bible with the intent to hear from God, then we must do so in a manner in which we ready ourselves, that we come prepared to listen and to receive. But I think, unfortunately, the strategy we oftentimes employ when we, when we are studying God's word is that it reveals we don't have much of a strategy at all. And how often when we come to open our Bibles uh, and 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 when we pursue God through his word with good intentions, our intentions are oftentimes sabotaged by multitasking, by distractions, by minds that are already consumed with today's agenda, by weariness, by kids, because we don't know how to study the Bible. What is it for you? So the question this morning that we're going to answer is how do we prepare our hearts to effectively study God's word? How do we come into a place in which we are ready to hear and receive with what God has for me? You remember we, called, we started a series with why the Bible matters. Then we transitioned into how do we actually study the Bible? And this morning we are asking basically this question, how do I prepare my hearts for the moment I open God's word? And prepare to receive. I do want to say this right up front. I read a book on this, which is what kind of kind of sparked or I guess uh, encouraged this part of the sermon series. The book is called "Before You Open Your Bible" by Matt Smithhurst. And so, uh, the main points I'm really just taking from all his chapter headings, and then I'm taking my own liberty to kind of elaborate. On what these points actually mean. Let me just say a couple practical things up front before we jump into nine points. Yes, yeah, there's nine. There's nine points, but we'll fly through them. I think. Um, first of all, when you open your Bibles, this is the most practical ways. You need to sit up. How how, how effective is your reading when you lay down on the couch and get comfy? I joke with my wife when she lays down on the couch. The kids are finally in bed. She's laying down and she opens her book and I say, good night, honey. (laughs) It's important that when we open our Bibles... That we open them with the purpose to, to, to receive and to listen. And so it is imperative that even our body posture is actually in the right posture to, to receive. And so we need to come, we need to be in a, a stance or a position of receiving. We need to be sitting up when we read our Bibles. Secondly, I would encourage you in this way, in the most practical sense, do not use your phone or other technology for your Bible study. There's a couple of reasons behind that. First of all, the one is very obvious to all of us. We have way too many reminders. We have way too many other apps functioning simultaneously when we are seeking to study the Bible. And when our mind immediately kind of goes on this rabbit trail, that rabbit trail is so quickly uh, picked up by another app. And so can I just encourage you in this way, in our approach to God's word, do not use your technology, actually, my Bible's on the pew right there because I have all my Bible verses in here. Actually open your Bible. Open your Bible. Here's the second reason why I believe that's so important, especially for you parents and especially for you grandparents. It's what you are modeling to your children. We already have it in our household. My daughter Katie She's like, you're always on your phone. And sometimes we are on our phones literally reading the Bible. But she doesn't know that. All she knows is we're on our phone for a lot of different reasons. And so as even my wife and I were talking this past week, we were just like, you know, I really want to make sure that as we're doing this church-wide reading plan together that we are literally opening our Bibles up, not just the convenience of my app, but opening it up so it's very obvious that when we are reading our Bibles, our kids know that mommy and daddy are reading their Bibles right now. They're not checking some social media feed. They're not doing any other thing. They're reading God's word at this time. Just a couple practical tips. Let's jump in to some of the main points of our time here this morning. Point number one. In order to prepare ourselves to hear from God, And to receive what he has for us, we must approach the Bible prayerfully. We must approach the Bible prayerfully. You see, in prayer, we acknowledge our need for God to give us understanding of his word. In prayer, we are asking God to give us a, the, uh, a desire to act upon what we hear and we receive from God. Matt said this in his book. He says, approaching scripture apart from prayer is the most counterproductive thing we can do because prayerless Christianity is powerless Christianity. And so we must approach God's word in a very prayerful, a very prayerful uh, approach. And the question we might ask is, well, how do I actually do that? Do I just sit down and pray and then open my Bible? What does this look like to prepare my heart prayerfully to, to hear and to receive from God? John Piper actually uh, identified an acronym for this as he, that he implements or employs to, in his kind of beginning of his Bible study. He calls it the IOUS. John Piper's I-O-U-S. It's not R-O-U-S, like our rodents of unusual size. You know what I'm talking about, Princess Bride? It's I-O-U-S. This is, the, this is what John Piper employs in his preparation before he even begins to study and open God's word. The I stands for incline my heart. John asks, he prays this way, Lord, incline my heart. David says in Psalm 119, 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. To incline means to direct. And this is necessary because our natural inclinations are not always on God. The natural inclinations of our hearts are not always toward God. In fact, in some of our cases, maybe rarely towards God. And therefore, we are in need of God to re- redirect our wayward inclinations to the things of God. And by the way, this takes effort. This takes energy. This takes uh, effort on our part. We don't incline our hearts in a passive sense Inclination or prayerfully asking God to incline our hearts takes effort. It takes work to be mindful of God. So we, we pray that God would incline our wayward inclinations back to God. Secondly, we are asking God to open our eyes. Psalm 119:18, open my eyes that I may behold your wondrous things out of your law. Just as God is responsible for our salvation, so, also, he asked to give us perceptive eyes to understand his revelation to us. Charles Spurgeon said it this way He says, Text or scripture will often refuse to reveal its treasures until they are opened with the key of prayer. So in other words, what we are asking in prayer, we are asking God, God, would you give me the ability to understand? Would you give me the ability to see what I need to see? Yes, I can read it, I can get a basic understanding, but I need your spirit to open my eyes so that I can understand and mind the depths of your word. Because left to ourselves, we are going to be handicapped, we are in need of the Spirit to illuminate our minds, to give us eyes to see what only God can give us—the ability to see. The U I O U S right incline my heart, open my eyes. The U stands for unite my heart. Psalm eighty-six, eleven. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Our greatest need is to have our hearts united with the heart of God because if our hearts are not united with God's heart, then we cannot equally be united to his love and his joy and his peace. So we are asking God, help us not only to to incline my heart, but to unite my heart with your heart, not God's heart to mine, but my heart to his. There's a very big difference for our hearts to be, in a sense, conformed to God's heart. This is why David can pray, give me the desires of my heart. That prayer only makes sense in the context of our hearts already being united to the heart of God, and therefore, in turn, we see that God says, ask whatever you want, because you're not going to ask anything that is contrary to my will and my heart. S, satisfy me. Psalm 90, 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The fact is, every human being on the planet is seeking some version or some form of happiness. And that's okay. That's not necessarily a problem in and of itself. The problem is that we seek God or we seek happiness outside of God. So seeking or pursuing happiness is not wrong. It's in what source are we Expecting to receive happiness from. That's why David will say, Psalm, Psalm 16 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I O U S incline my heart, open my eyes, unite my heart, and satisfy me in your word. God desires that you would be satisfied in his word, that you would in a sense be once again reminded and and content with the things of God. Augustine said it this way, our hearts will always be restless until they find our rest in thee. You will always be discontent. You will always be unsettled. You will always be restless until you find true satisfaction in God. So the way in which you and I prepare to hear and receive from God is first approaching the word of God in prayer, but secondly, we, we hear and receive what God has for us by approaching our Bibles humbly. We must approach our Bibles humbly humbly. The approach, this approach kind of acknowledges two important truths or two important principles. First, first one is this. The Bible in which you are holding in your hands is really one of the many evidences that God loves you. Think about that. The, re, the very fact that we have an inspired and an eternal revelation from God is his way of saying, I love you. And therefore, I want you to know me. I want you to know what life is all about. I want to foster a relationship with you. This is God communicating, going, I haven't left you in the dark. I'm not leaving you ignorant. I'm giving you exactly what you need for life and for godliness. But secondly, when we open our Bibles, we are entering into the presence of God. Think about that for a moment. When we open our Bibles, we are invited to enter into the presence of God. And here's a second thing. And he has something to say to you. Could you just pause for a moment? Think about this. God. Almighty God. Creator of the heavens and the universe. Creator of all things that we experience with all our senses says, I have something to say to you. It's pretty profound when you think about it. It's incredible to think that God, eternity past, eternity future, we're created, God is not created, has something to say to you. The question is, are we listening? Are we coming with a heart prepared to listen and to receive? When you realize just for a moment that creator God has something to say to us and that we are entering into the presence in a sense the, the holy of holies so to speak. In the Old Testament we see that there was a, a priest and oftentimes they would even cast lots of who would have to walk into the holy of holies with a rope tied behind their ankle just in case they drop dead. And now we have the spirit of God indwelling us. It's incredible. In fact, I could say this, I believe. The manner in which we approach God through his word says a lot about what we think about God. The manner in which we approach God through his word says a lot about what we think about God. Thirdly, in order to prepare our hearts, or prepare ourselves to, receive, to hear from God and to receive what he has for us, we must approach the Bible desperately. I know I shared the story probably a while back, but a number of years ago, there's a group of us guys who went on a, a hike call on the Bailey Range in the, in the Olympics here. And the Bailey Range, among many trails, is kind of a, a, kind of a bucket list trail because it's just beautiful. You're basically walking around Mount Olympus, and just the, the views are epic. And the, the summer we went was an incredibly clear. The weather was good. There was no smoke in the sky. The only difference was there was a very dry winter prior to the summer in which we went. And so all the seasonal snow melt that we would kind of rely upon for water sources were gone. And so there was one day in which we filled up where we camped out and we went the entire day in a very hot day and there was no water to be found. And guess what? We all ran out of water. Doug is shaking his head because he was on that trip. Let's just say when you all run out of water and after a while you're going, I think our priorities have changed. Now all of a sudden we're not necessarily looking to where we're going to go through. Now what matters most, or first and foremost, is water. And so we're looking at the top of the map and we're like, maybe we can go up. And so we huff it to the top of this, the ridge line, only to discover we can't go on the other side because it's all cliffed out. So we must go down. We see a lake at the very bottom of the valley. The only problem is we don't know how to get down there. And you think like, well, you just walk down. No, you don't just walk down. It's like cliffy everywhere. There's a right way to go and we don't have any vantage point. By God's grace, we found a way and eventually coming down this little valley, there's this little trickle of water. Picture five guys hunkered around this trickle of water coming out of the ground. It's like desperation. It was a godsend. It's imperative that you and I come to God through his word desperately. Desperately. But I think, unfortunately, sometimes we don't come with a desperation. We just kind of come with a, an already full state. Let me illustrate it in this way. Anybody like Mexican food? I love Mexican food. I love all the same five ingredients made lots of different ways. <laughs> but what I love especially about Mexican food is all the chips and salsa you get before the meal, right? The meal before the meal, Here's the deal, though. Guess what? You, you get in and, and they keep asking, do you want more chips? And you're all, yes, please. you want more salsa? Yes, please. Keep it coming. Don't let it, don't let it go empty. And then they bring out the main course. And oftentimes my, my thought, though I don't actually act upon it, is could you just put that in a go box? Because I'm already full of chips and salsa. And now my appetite, I came in hungry, and now that the main course has come, I am not really that hungry anymore. And I think in a parallel sense, sometimes we are so filled up with the world's chips and salsa that when it comes to feasting on God's word, we have very little appetite. Let me ask you this question, church family. Do you approach the Bible more like a snack or like a feast? Is, some, is it something that kind of subsidizes your life, or is it something that you regard as absolutely essential to your well being? Would it be more accurate to say that you're willing to hear from God, or that you are desperate to hear from God? Are you merely interested in Scripture, or are you internalizing Scripture? After all, Deuteronomy 8.3 says this, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So we must come to the word of God desperately. Fourthly, however, In order to prepare ourselves to hear from God and receive what he has for us, we must approach the Bible studiously to be studious means this. It means to be diligent or earnest and in intent. Uh, be, it means to be purposeful. It means to be, have, kind of have a, a deliberate love for learning or a love for study. And you might be saying right up front going, Aaron, that is not me. That does not describe me at all. I am not a studious person. I don't love to learn. I was not good in school. And my response would be is, sure you are. Of course you're a studious Everyone is studious about the things that they love. Whatever you love, whatever your heart is drawn to, you are in turn studious in the sense that you want to know everything about it. You always study what you love. You always study what is important to you. It's why some of you can say, I was terrible in school, but I know every statistic in baseball. And I know every player, and I know everything about that player. More than the player knows about themselves, probably. And so to say that you're not a studious person would just be say, no, you just, it's, it's really, we're always studious. We're always intently learning about those things in which we love. So we must approach God's word studiously, but the question is, why? Why is it imperative that you and I approach God in a sense with a, with a sense of learning? Well, here's the main point. We study in order to worship. We study God. We understand who he is so that we might more effectively worship God for who he is. After all, we cannot, we cannot uh, worship someone we do not know. We cannot effectively worship God if we don't really know who God actually is. And therefore, as Matt would say, he says the purpose of theology is to stoke your worship, to deepen your love, to fuel your mission, and to sustain your life. Now, you might even even say, wait a second, Aaron, I'm not a theologian. I don't like, I'm not a theologian. That's what people that go to seminary do. That's what pastors do. I'm not a theologian. And I would once again say, sure you are. Everyone in here is a theologian. All it takes to be a theologian is to have an opinion about God. And if you have an opinion about God that makes you a theologian. The real question is are you a good one? Do you know God as he reveals himself or do you know God in a sense that it's all subjectively sourced? Do you submerge yourself in the Scriptures studiously so that, can, so that you can mine the depths of God's riches? Do you spend time to absorb the truths of scripture? Fifthly, to prepare our hearts to hear from God and to receive what He has for us, we must approach the Bible obediently. You know, oftentimes it's said that Christianity is a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? Many times people assert this thing that, oh, Christianity is what I can do and what I can't do. And that's what religion is all about. The things I can't do, which are all fun, and things I have to do, which are not fun. And that's their idea. That's their understanding of what religion is or what relationship with God is. But that is not what Christianity is. That is not what it means to have a relationship with God. No, we we see that there are, in a sense, laws. And there are some do's and don'ts so that you can actually Foster a healthy and life-giving and joy-filled relationship with God. As we discussed a few weeks ago in the sermon Why the Bible Matters, we discussed this point. To be human means to be created in the image of God. And if we are created in the image of God, both man and woman alike, therefore it means to be to have a specific design, and with that design, there's a specific purpose. And we cannot experience the joy and the peace God promises unless you live your life consistent with that purpose. What is our purpose? Well, among many things, it is primarily to be in relationship with creator God. And the way in which you and I foster a healthy relationship with God is out of obedience to God. Jesus says this in John 15.10, When you obey my commandments... You remain in my love, just as, my, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. In other words, let me just kind of summarize it in this way. When we think about Christianity, when we think about our approach to God's word, we must understand this, that following Jesus is not an alternative to your joy. It is actually the secret to your joy. The do's and don'ts and the laws are not contrary to enjoying your life. God is saying this, I give you these things so that you can receive my joy, so that you will be filled with my joy. Therefore, apart from following these things, you will not actually experience what I have for you. And you might you might object in this way, or some people do object in this way. I thought true freedom is the absence of rules, right? Isn't true freedom where where no one tells me to do anything? No, that's called anarchy. And that's called chaos. And there's there's no one who is free when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. But true freedom, according to God, according to Scripture, is experienced when the rules are clearly defined and established. Brothers and sisters, we must understand that God gives us his word. He gives us laws. He gives us rules so that you might truly live. In a sense, he says, everything within these boundaries is life. Everything outside of them is death. And an unloving God would not say anything. But a loving God would say, I don't want you to die. Therefore, don't Follow that inclination. Stay within these boundaries and you will live. After all, the benefits of obedience follow obedience. Sixthly, kind of brings us to our next point here. To prepare ourselves to hear from God and receive what he has for us, we must approach the Bible joyfully. We must approach the Bible joyfully. Here's the deal. Everyone desires to be happy, right? Almost everyone on the face of the earth, uh, almost everything we do, everything we pursue in life has this ultimate goal in mind. It's our happiness. Many of the things we do, even if it's not happy in the moment, we do for the sake of being happy. Even when I get chores done, that is for my pursuit of happiness because when the chores are done, then I can feel like I relax, right? And relaxing sounds happy to me because there's no more to-do list. I can check it off. So even the process of getting things done necessarily is a means by which I am pursuing my own happiness. Well, believe it or not, brothers and sisters, God is a happy God. I'm not sure what perception you have of God, but God is a happy God. He desires that you would be happy. He desires that you would be full of joy. And because we are created in his image, he wants you to be happy as he is happy. But he also says this, the purpose of his word is to fill you with his joy. In other words, it's not happiness as we define it. It's happiness as God defines it. It's not happiness in where we look. It's in happiness in where he says, this is how you experience me. This is how you were ex- created. This is how you are filled with my joy. That's why scripture, scripture is replete with all kinds of things that say things like John 15, 11, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. We see that God commands so that we obey for the ultimate purpose is that we would be filled with his joy. Obedience, the fruit of obedience, the evidence of the obedience follows our obedience, and that fruit is joy. It's peace, it's rest. 1 John 1 4, we are writing these things so that your joy may be made complete. Jesus prays in John seventeen thirteen. I am coming to you in these things. I speak to the wor- into the world that they may be that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So we must approach God's word joyfully, in a sense with an expectation that through it we will feel, be filled with God's joy. Seventhly, by the way, we have nine points here. We're getting close. In order to prepare ourselves to hear from God and receive what he has for us, we must approach the Bible expectantly. We must approach the Bible expectantly. You know, oftentimes in our lives, the greatest source of frustration and the greatest source of anger and resentment and hurt derive from unfulfilled expectations, right? We have a certain we're just like all in, like, I hope to experience this, and if we don't experience something, or if it doesn't, things don't pan out the way in which we had hoped for, then we are frustrated, then we are uh, aggravated. But even though circumstances in life, and even though people may let us down, God never does. You see, when we open our Bibles, we must open it with a sense of anticipation or expectation that we are going to receive exactly what we need from God. So this expectation must be qualified just for a moment. It's not an expectation of God will give me what I want if I ask for it. It's an expectation that God will give me exactly what I need when I ask for it. After all, we are praying from the very beginning, Lord, unite my heart with your heart. Incline my wayward inclinations to your heart. And therefore, in turn, we ask whatever we want, and he will do it because we do things or we ask for things that are in accordance to his will. And even if we don't, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf in perfect accordance with his will. So open your Bibles with expectation, brothers and sisters. Don't just open and going, oh man, what's the reading plan for today? I gotta open. Let me just get through it real quick. No, open going. God has something to say to me right now, and I don't even know what that is, perhaps. But I know I'll receive exactly what I need. Number eight. In order to prepare ourselves to hear from God and receive what He has for us, we must approach the Bible communally. Colossians 3:16 says this that let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I mean, you realize, brothers and sisters, one of the reasons why we do church Together, right? The reason why we are here this morning, though you may not have come in with this mindset, but the reason why we are here in part is so that we might learn together. As I kind of discussed briefly last week, we learn better together than we do in isolation. We learn better in a community sense than we do by ourselves. We grow spiritually by learning relationally. I think the opposite is also true. Our spiritual growth and our relationship with God can be radically hindered, even impotent, when done so in isolation. You know, it's so common today, and I love technology for what it affords us. I love the convenience of things, but I hear this, I don't know why I hear this or I get made aware of this more often than I'd like to hear it, but people say this, I'm doing a church at home today. What does that mean exactly, I'm doing church at home today? And so usually I pry, well, what, is that, what does that look like for you? Like, well, you know, I'm doing TV church this morning. Or uh, I'm listening to a podcast where I can listen to the sermon later. In other words, what they're getting at is this, as long as I listen to the sermon, therefore I've done church. And can I just say to you, that is not church, It's good that you're listening to a sermon. It's good that you're listening to your favorite speaker, your favorite podcast. It's that's nothing wrong with that, but it's not church. It's not the life that God has not only invited into, but expects from you. Because you see, brothers and sisters, doing church, so to speak, is when we come together because church is people. Church is the family of God. Consistently or regularly coming together with one voice, with one purpose, with one mission, linking arms for the glory of God. So let me just kind of put this out here, and I know this kind of deviates from my point a little bit, but let me just put this out here. When you make a decision about should I come to church this morning or not, can I just kind of frame it in this sense? You are making a decision, should I be with my brothers and sisters in Christ or not? Am I going to make a decision based on what I want? Or am I going to make a decision based on what's better for the sake of Christ? What's better for the sake of Christ's church? After all, if you come to church with the intent to be a worker and not a spectator, then you will come with the intent going, I need to be there because God has something to do in and through me there. And if I'm not there, then people suffer. The mission suffers. And I think in a parallel sense, as we come to learn and receive what God has for us through His Word, we must do so communally. We must do so in relationship with each other. We do so in the, in the most practical sense, like mentor relationships and life groups and small groups. We do this uh, in our regular participation as a church family on a Sunday morning. We even do that in the church-wide reading plan. That's the, one of the, the primary intents of this church-wide reading plan. And by the way, if you were not here last week, I'd encourage you, you can get it on the resource page on the website. We're going, every two weeks, we're going to put a new two-week plan out. We're reading it together. My wife and I are reading it together. It's been rich already. We're, already done. we're actually more on the same page in so many ways because we're talking about the same stuff. It's not like she has her plan and I have my plan. We're actually reading the same thing. It's like, did you notice that? And what is this all about? It's fun. We want to foster a a deeper sense of conversation and oneness together by the fact that we are reading and in, in a sense opening God's word together at the same place and same time. So we learn in community, ninth and finally, to prepare ourselves to hear from God and receive what he has for us, we must approach the Bible Christocentrically. Let me just say another word to dis- describe that one word. It must be Christ-focused. All of Scripture must be interpreted through the lens of Jesus Christ. This is what we, we touched on this last week. Let me just elaborate on this for a moment. In Luke 24, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus. They don't know who he is. Again, this is, post, this is post-resurrection, so he's, he's got his 40 days before you know, after the resurrection and before he ascends into heaven, and he's walking on the road. No one recognizes him. And then he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In fact, later on in that chapter, Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, and everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And, they, and he opened their eyes to understand the scriptures. Jesus says, even says in John chapter 5, he says, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. He goes on to say in verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. In other words, what Jesus is declaring very emphatically, he's saying this, all scripture from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to the very end of Revelation, he says, it's all about me. It's not just a collection of stories, it's not a historical document, though we get history from it. But all of Scripture is there on purpose, for a purpose, and it's for the purpose of pointing to the person or the work of Jesus Christ. That's how we properly understand Scripture. I appreciate the breakdown that uh, Matt put in his book, kind of a Bible overview, the way in which you can understand the Bible or the structure of the Bible. The Old Testament is all about anticipation, the, 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 new, the Gospels are all about manifestation. Acts is all about proclamation. The epistles or Paul's letters are all about explanation. And Revelation is about consummation. In other words, this is all God's divine rescue mission we sang about that this morning we are a part of his redemptive rescue mission and Jesus is literally the climax of God's redemptive rescue mission so when you open your word even if it's a Levitical rule you're like what does this have to do with my life how is this applicable for my life it can only be understood or make sense when viewed through the lens of seeing it fulfilled in Jesus or the work of Christ all scripture points to Jesus, either points ahead or looks back. So let me wrap it up for you in this way, and guys, you can come on up here again. We, read this, we had this passage read for us, but I will read it for you again. Romans 12, 1 and two. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters, let me just say this in closing. Preparing your heart to study God's word is your act of worship. And the way in which you prepare your hearts will be the difference of you receiving effectively what God has for you and you walking away as if you forgot everything. So may we be a church in which we are opening God's word with expectation, with anticipation, in a very prayerful sense, putting energy and effort into it, knowing that creator God the King of kings, the Lord of lords, has something to say to you. And the question is, are you coming ready to listen and to receive? Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that, Father, you do not leave us in the dark, but instead you actually reveal so much about yourself That in this lifetime, Father, we will barely even scratch the surface of who you are. In fact, to fathom the idea that for eternity we will never exhaust understanding you and knowing you. That we will will be eternally amazed by you. Father, I just, even now, we have the opportunity to know you more fully to be filled with your joy, to be filled with your presence, to be filled with your spirit. And I pray that we as a church would be committed to opening our words and opening your word and preparing our hearts to listen effectively, to receive with the purpose of acting on what you tell us. All for the glory of your name and the fulfillment of the mission you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.